All right, we're going back to the book of Philemon tonight. I want to thank you for being here this evening in the service. I want to thank you for a wonderful place that we've had to stay and been enjoying being at the pastor's home, the good meal we had today. And once again, I've enjoyed the services. Good to see Dr. Ellis and good to meet this missionary from down under. Amen. Amen. Appreciate that. And uh, thank you for being here in the evening service. I want to read a few verses from the book of Philemon. We read just a couple this morning. And I want to read a couple more here in this little epistle. We'll start in verse 1. The Bible said, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Appia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. We'll stop reading there. And I want to continue a little bit on the thought that we were in this morning. Uh, if you remember this morning, we looked at this word in verse number two, fellow soldier. And I talked to you a little bit about the military fellowship. Now, there are several times that Paul will use this uh, little formula where he uses the word fellowship. He drops the ship off and adds something on the end. Uh, he'll use the word uh, fellow soldiers, as we noticed this morning. He'll use the word fellow laborers. He'll use the words fellow citizens, fellow heirs. He'll talk about fellow prisoners. He'll also use fellow servants and fellow workers. I want to spend a moment tonight in this word in verse 1 where Paul calls Philemon a fellow laborer. And I want to talk to you tonight about the missionary fellowship. The, the soldier, the fellow soldier would be the military fellowship. The uh, fellow prisoners would be the manacled fellowship. Sometimes in our lives we're, we're manacled. We're, we get in a situation in life where we're hindered from doing what we want to do. And when we get in that place, we must find something we can do for the cause of Christ. Paul had that happen when he ended up in the prison. He couldn't go where he wanted to go. He couldn't do what he would, what he would prefer to do in his heart. So what did he do? He began to write letters. And we're still using those letters and still being helped by them. You say, well, preacher, I can't do what I used to do. That's all right. Do what you can do. There's no telling what God can do with it. Then we come to this. this there's also fellow citizens and fellow heirs. I call that the mysterious fellowship. And you'll find a great deal about it in Ephesians. It's hard for an unregenerate mind to understand what's involved in being a fellow heir and a fellow citizen, but you and I that are saved, we're enjoying what we have in Christ, amen. But I'm interested in fellow laborers, the missionary fellowship. Now, when I think about fellowship, we're Baptists. We're independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptists. When we think of fellowship, we think of food. 
Say, well, we're having a fellowship after the service. What does that mean? We're gonna go eat somewhere. But fellowship in the Bible doesn't usually have to do with food. I like to put it this way. Fellowship has to do with I possess something and I wanna practice something with what I possess and I wanna do it with somebody else that possesses the same thing that I have. That's really what fellowship is. I have Christ and you have Christ. I have the new birth, you have the new birth. Now I wanna do something about that and I wanna do it with you because we both know the same Lord, been washed in the same blood, serve the same God. So there is fellowship. Now, when we come to this word fellow laborers, if we, if we look in the, uh, in the Greek language behind it, we'll find that it is, it is uh, um, found in the word of God. It's translated not only fellow laborers, but Paul in 2 Corinthians will call them fellow helpers. In Colossians, he'll call them fellow workers. And then there's a different word, but Paul will use this. He'll call them fellow servants. But the idea is the same, that all of us are missionaries for the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ. Somebody said, well, preacher, I'm not a missionary. I'm not called to a foreign field. No, but you're called to serve the Lord. Your life is now his and you should spend it serving him. Someone said, well, I'm not going to get involved in missions. Well, Jesus said this. He said, uh, he that is not with me is against me and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. I want to gather with him. I don't want to do any scattering. I want to be involved in mission work. I remember Dr. Ronnie Simpson saying one time about being a missionary, being a Christian. He said, what I believe, I practice every day. Anything else is just religious talk. That's right. So we say, well, I, God saved me and my life is his. Then I ought to practice that every day. And if I don't practice that, it's just talk. It's just religion. So we want to be involved in the missionary endeavor. Now, Paul is talking about that a little bit in this passage, fellow laborers. And I want to say three things to you about that tonight. I want to talk to you, first of all, about the driving force behind this fellowship. What is it that makes a Christian want to serve God? What is it that makes a born-again believer want to do the work of God and see somebody else saved? I could say one word. It is found in one word. It is the word love. It is love. What do you mean love? We love him because he first loved us. I didn't wake up one morning and decide to love Jesus. But what happened to me was somebody told me how much Jesus loved me. And when I found out how much he loved me and the price he paid for me, it brought me under Holy Ghost conviction and I repented of my sin and believed the gospel. In the epistles of John, John will say that. We love him because he first loved us. John will also say this, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And Paul talked about that great love wherewith he hath loved us. I was preaching, I was preaching the 43rd anniversary of the Bean Blossom Baptist Church. That's where I'm a member and my pastor been there 43 years and I was preaching anniversary service. I do it about every year and I know on anniversary you're supposed to preach on precious memories and the goodness of God. I know that but I got to praying and I was studying in the book of Romans and I have a habit of preaching where I'm studying, you know, and I study in Romans and I came across this verse where the Bible said that God uh, willing to show his wrath. And so on Sunday morning for anniversary Sunday, I preached on the wrath of God. I don't guess that's exactly kosher, but that's what I did. 
So I preached that morning on the wrath of God and there's a little, I didn't know how old she was, but I found out later, a little 16-year-old girl, blonde-headed, sitting on the back row, first time she'd ever been to our church. Invitation time came and I said, now if you're, I had them bow their heads. I said, if you're here and you, you wanna be saved, you're not saved, you'd like to be saved, would you raise your hand? You want me to pray for her? She raised her hand. So a little while she came to the altar. My wife knelt down by her. I found out all this later. My wife knelt down by her. She said, what's your name, honey? She said, my name is Alex. She said, what did you come for? She said, I need to be saved. And she said, well, Alex, what do you know about Jesus? And Alex said two things. She said, I know that he died on the cross for me. And then she said this, and I know that he really, really loves me. I'm gonna tell you, she had both those things right, but thank God he really, really loves us tonight. You said, preacher, nobody loves me. Oh, you're wrong, friend. God loves you and he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for you. He absolutely loves you tonight the place of love in missions. We love him because he first loved us. Hudson Taylor had some young men and he was talking to them about missions. They wanted to get involved in missions. And so he asked them, he said, why do you want to be a missionary? Here were their answers. One of them said this, I want to go because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Another said, I want to go because millions are perishing without Christ. Several gave different answers. And here's what Hudson Taylor said to them. He said, all of these motives, however good, will fail you in times of testing, trials and tribulations and even imminent death. He said, there is but one motive that will sustain you in trial and blessing and that is namely the love of Christ. We love him because he first loved us. Now listen to what Paul said in verse five in our text. He said, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. Paul said, I know you're a fellow laborer because I've heard about how much you love Jesus and remember we love him because he first loved us. Our problem in the day we have is iniquity is abounding and the love of many has waxed cold. We have, we have become like James when we, when we want to be friends with the world and, and those things have caused us to become enemies of God. Our love is waxing cold. I want to ask you tonight, are you in love with Jesus? You say, preacher, I love him. Why? Because he loved me first. We love him and that's why we serve him. It is love. Not only I think about the place of love, love is what draws us and drives us in this ministry and causes us to want to serve. And then the partnership of love. Look what Paul said. He said in verse seven, for we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Paul is talking about the fact that they're laborers together. I'm refreshed by your love. I want to refresh you with my love. When Paul calls somebody like this man, a Philemon, a fellow laborer. Think about, think about what he's doing. We, we mentioned this a little bit this morning about the fellow soldier, but here is Paul who is having a ministry everywhere, making a difference everywhere, affecting people and influencing people. Here's Philemon. He has a church in his house. In his house, he's got a church. His ministry is in that small area, but here's what Paul said. You know what we are? We're laborers together. I'm going everywhere, but you're in that one place, but my ministry's not greater than yours. Yours is not less than mine. We all love the same Jesus. We're after the same thing. We are laborers together. Somebody said one time, I was reading some fellow and he was writing about Philemon. He said, even Paul's hello makes you want to serve. 
when Paul said hello and greeted them and called him a fellow laborer, even his hello made him want to serve. And then there's a third thing I want you to notice, the place of love and the partnership of love and then the prompting of love. And I've got to tell you a little story about this. But look in verse nine. He said, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about what Paul is saying here. He's saying, let me tell you, Philemon, what ought to prompt you to, uh, to grant my request. It's not, it's not just because it's the right thing to do. It's not just because it's the best thing to do. It's because of love. It's because Christ loved you and Christ loved me and we love Christ and we love each other. It's love that will cause us to do this, the prompting of love. I, uh, this young fellow won't mind me telling you this. A young fellow I know, he got himself in a lot of trouble. Married and because he got in the trouble and got involved in things he shouldn't have, his marriage fell apart. He wasn't living for God. And one day I was at home and he, he texted me and said, pray for me, I'm in a mess. And I already knew he was in a mess. That was no surprise. And so he said, I'm in a mess. And, he's, and I texted him back right away. He said, are you home? I said, I'm home. He said, will you meet me at the church? So we went to the church and he, uh, he came in the church. I opened the door and he came running in our home church there. And he just greeted me just a little and ran past me and got down on the altar and got crying out to God. And I got down beside him and I won't go through everything that happened, but he got his heart right with God. There at the altar, got saved, trusted the Lord as his savior. And then, one day he called me. He said, Brother McBride, he said, I, I, wanna, I wanna sell you a pistol. I said, really? He said, I've got a 22 pistol and I need to sell it. And I wondered if you'd buy it. I said, well, you know, maybe I would. I don't know. I said, how much you wanna, wanna how much you have to have for it? And so he, he gave me a, an unusual sum. It was like $123.38. And I thought, well, that's an odd you know, somebody used to say, well, 100 bucks or 100. He said, $122, $23.38. I said, that's an unusual amount. Why, why do you need that? He said, well, he said, you know, I'm trying to get back with my wife. I'm trying to get things straightened out with my wife. I said, yeah. He said, I remember my wife always used to say that she wanted a knight in shining armor to sweep her off her feet. I said, okay. He said, I found a suit of armor. I said, you found a what? He said, I found a suit of armor for sale for $123.38. And he said, if you'll buy this pistol, I'm gonna take that money and I'm gonna buy that suit of armor and I'm gonna wear it down the bank where she works and I'm gonna take roses and I'm gonna walk in and propose to her and try and get back together. You say, preacher, that sounds a little silly. Well, it did to me too, but I'm not in love with his wife. You see, he was willing to go to any length even the links of putting on a suit of armor and walking in a public place and proposing to her. You know why he wanted to do that? He's in love. So-and-so a preacher, I wouldn't do that. Why not? Aren't you in love with Jesus? I wouldn't talk to so-and-so. Why not? Aren't you in love with Jesus? I wouldn't give up this. Why not? Aren't you in love with Jesus? I wouldn't be faithful like that. Why not? Aren't you in love with Jesus? If you're in love with him because he first loved you, it'll prompt you to do some things that the world will say make no sense because you're in love with him. This fellowship, the driving force behind this fellowship, this missionary fellowship is love. 
love. It's called in the Bible the royal law. Love is the royal law. Why? Because it's the, James said it, if you fulfill the royal law, why would love be a royal law? Number one, because it's given by a king, by the Lord Jesus, we're to love. He said, love one another as I have loved you. And another reason it's the royal law is because it governs all other laws. If we get this love thing right, everything else will fall into place. You just love him like he ought to be loved. And if you just recognize how much he loves you, he'll change the way you think about things. He'll change what you do. It is the prompting behind this fellowship, the driving force. But there's a second thing I want you to think about concerning Philemon and the, and the missionary fellowship, and that is the, dry, the diverse faces involved in this fellowship. There is a diversity of humanity involved in Paul's missionary endeavor here in the New Testament. When we read about the the people that he will call fellow servants or fellow workers or fellow laborers, they're unusual people. They're from different walks of life. They have different gifts. They have different abilities. They have different talents. When we look at fellow laborers in our text, there is Philemon mentioned in verse 1. But look in verse 24. He'll say this, or actually verse 23 He'll say there, salute the Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Then he'll say this, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. Paul mentions uh, four of them here in this passage that are fellow laborers, but throughout his epistles, he'll name names of people involved in the missionary labor with him. There is Marcus, I call him. I call him a laborer on his way back because you know what happened to Marcus? He left them, he, he, he departed from them in one place. I don't know what it was that got him stirred up. I don't know what turned him away, but he went back on a missionary journey. He quit them, and it looked like that would be the end of him. No more serving God for him. But later on, Paul will say, bring Mark with me, for he's profitable in the journey. Aren't you glad that in this missionary fellowship when we're serving God, maybe sometime we're not all we're supposed to be, but there is grace and there is mercy, and with God, there is a second chance. With God, you can start again. You know, God doesn't just give you a second chance chance. He, he'll give you a third chance and a fourth chance. He'll help you. He'll get you back involved in things. I'll tell you a wonderful thing about God's second. Sometimes they're better than the first. Amen. He'll give you a better chance. He'll get you started again. And then not only is there Marcus, but Aristarchus. I call him a laborer with backbone. Because if you read about Aristarchus, one of the first missionary journeys, perhaps the first one he gets on, he winds up in the middle of great persecution, but later on you find him sailing with Paul. He must have been somebody who said, yeah, I know it was tough the first time, but I'm not giving up anyway. If you're gonna be involved in missionary endeavor, you're gonna have to have a little backbone about you. You're just gonna have to say, you know what? I'm gonna serve God. There may be some trouble. There may be some trial. There may be some difficult, but I'm gonna stay faithful. And then there is Luke. He is a laborer who was beloved. He's called the beloved physician. Uh, you know, when he's referred to in the Bible, there are only three direct references to Luke in our Bible, but the last one is the one that always interests me. The last time that Paul talks about Luke, here's what he'll say. He's in the prison. He's about to die. He'll say, Demas hath forsaken me. He'll talk about those that have left, but here's what he'll say about Luke. He'll say, only Luke is with me. Kind of a sad thing, isn't it? But let's give it a second thought. Who was Luke? Well, he was a doctor. Who is Paul going to need? What's he going to need physically? He's going to need a doctor. Who was Luke? He was an educated man. What will Paul enjoy? Paul is an educated man. 
He's going to have somebody on his level to talk with. And then who is Luke? He's a Christian surrendered unto God. What is Paul? He's a, surrendered, he's a Christian surrendered unto God. You know what? I can't think of anybody better than Luke to be with him at that last time. A lot of time, you, we'll use that language. We'll say, well, there's only such or only so-and-so. But God knows what you need. He'll give you what you need. Luke, the beloved physician. Then there is Titus. He's a laborer who knows how to behave. Here's what Paul said about Titus. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. Apparently, uh, Titus had a gift for organization and Paul left him there to organize. And then there's a man, and I don't know if I can even pronounce this right, but he's called a fellow laborer. He is Tychicus. And he is a laborer, now listen to me carefully, he's a laborer who bore the mail. What do you mean, preacher? Tychicus went with Onesimus carrying the letter to give to Philemon. He was a mailman. Have you ever thought about what this might have been? I'm just imagining here a little bit. Onesimus is headed home. He's, he, has, he has robbed his master. And by rights, he's going to have to suffer. But Paul has given a letter to Tychicus to tell Philemon to receive him as though he were Paul. Can you see them sitting around the campfire one night? They're getting close and Onesimus is getting nervous. I'm going to have to stand before Philemon. I'm going to have to own up. Wonder what it's going to be like. And Tychicus say, let me read you this letter again. Let me read right here where it says, receive him as though he were me. You know, I thought about Tychicus and I thought about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What we're going along in this life and sometimes we feel like maybe we don't measure up and the Holy Ghost said, can I remind you of what the letter says? Can I remind you what the letter says about Christ and about you accepted in the beloved? And you know what I'd like to be? I'd like to be like Tychicus. I want to remind people about the love of God and about the grace of God and about the mercy of God. He bore the mail. Then there was Onesimus, a labor in bonds, and Justice, a labor who was a bomb. Paul said he was a comfort to me. There was Epaphras, a laborer on bended knee. If you read about Epaphras, you know what he's doing? We find him praying. We find him involved in the ministry of intercession. There was Nim a laborer who was a benefactor. Let me read about him. Colossians 4:15. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church which is in his house. So apparently Nymphus owned a house and he said, we got to have a church. I'll let them have my house. I'll tell you what we need in the ministry. We need some folks who have things that will say, I'll use this for the glory of God. It'll be for Christ. Then there's Archippus, a laborer who may have needed a boost. He's mentioned here, but in Colossians it says this. Paul says and say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. I take that to mean that Archippus may have been having a little trouble, a little struggle, and Paul said, I encourage him now and tell him, take heed. And then there is Demas. He is a laborer who looked back. I don't want to be that laborer. I don't want to turn around. I'm just saying this to you. Look at me. I'm just trying to say this to you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you're good at or what you're not good at. If you know Jesus, he loves you and you're in love with him. You can be a missionary. You can be involved in the work of God. God uses all kinds, big, small, young, old, educated and uneducated. God will use you if you present yourself. He'll use you. He'll use you in unusual ways. He'll use you in ways that'll thrill your soul, ways you never dreamed of if you'll just present yourself. Just say, Lord, here I am, use me. Just let him have your life. So there are the diverse faces. Here's the last thing. I want you to notice this, the delightful fragrance surrounding this fellowship. Now, I want you to think about what Paul said again. 
here in verse 7. Watch this now. For we, that's Paul and those that were in prison with him at this time. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love. Because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Now I call this the delightful fragrance. I want you to think about it a moment. Paul is miles and miles and miles, great distances away from where Philemon is. He's in prison. He's in bonds. He'll leave this world pretty soon, go, to, go be with his Savior. Way back over here, miles and miles, great distances away, here's Philemon. And he's loving on the people of God. He's serving the Lord. And somehow, from way over here, yonder here, to way over yonder where Paul is, there's a fragrance kind of wafting along. And Paul over here, if I could use this, use it like this, kind of figuratively, Paul goes, that's a sweet smelling savor. I'm finding consolation and joy in it. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, here's what Ephesians said. In the book of Ephesians, the Bible said that Jesus offered himself up. And what was it to God? It was a sweet smelling fragrance, a sweet smelling savor in the nostrils of God. It's as though when Jesus died on the cross, God the Father leaned over the battlements of heaven and Jesus gave his life for sinners and God loves sinners, God the Father, and God the Father went, that's a sweet fragrance. That's sweet to my nostrils. You see, the Bible said it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Isaiah 53, and that word bruise is the idea of the mortar and the pestle of the, a man of medicine, the physician. He puts it down in there and he takes it. Uh, he takes that, I believe it's the pestle and goes like this. One of them, I don't know which one's which, the mortar or the pestle. But he grinds it down to powder and as he grinds it, the healing medicine comes out and the fragrance comes up off it. And so as Christ died on the cross and shed his blood, there was that healing fragrance that came up in the nostrils of God and God was pleased with it. He was satisfied with it. He shall see the travail of his soul and he shall be satisfied. That's why you and I don't have to satisfy him. He's satisfied already with what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. But now you know what's been going on ever since then? I tell you what's been going on while our dear missionary brother's been down under, down under Australia serving God. There's a sweet smelling savor that's been wafting cross and that we hear about what he done here at the church you hear about him and that sweet smelling savor thrills your heart and you thank Jesus for what he's done but it goes the other direction he'll find out about people being saved here at the Bible Baptist Church that'd be a sweet smelling savor I travel all around this country I hear about people being saved what is it it's a sweet smelling savor it's wafting across I want to be a part of that I want to be involved in that I want to be a part of that sweet smell and savor. There is a delightful fragrance. How, I wonder if Philemon ever thought, I wonder if he'd ever thought that one day he'd get a letter from Paul. And in that letter, the apostle Paul would say, I've been hearing about it. I've been hearing about what's been going on there in that house church of yours. I've been hearing about people being helped. 
And I'll tell you what it did when I heard about it. It refreshed me in my soul. It gave me joy. It helped me. It, I don't know if he ever, but I, I can imagine he was glad when he opened that letter and saw how what he had done had refreshed his dear friend Paul. I'm just wondering what it'd be like maybe one of these days we'll get to heaven and we'll be before Jesus and we'll find out that our life was a sweet smelling savor unto him and a fragrance in the nostrils of God and we'll hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's just get involved in the missionary endeavor. Let's be laborers. Let's not, let's not just be listeners. Let's be laborers. Let's not pride ourselves in the fact that we heard. Let's say, I'll tell you what I did. I heard something and then I went and did something with it. And I served him and I gave him a life and I trusted him because he loved me. You know, the truth of the matter is we ought to just serve him anyway because of how much he loved us. If he never does anything again, we ought to just love him and serve him because he loved us like he did. I want to be involved in the missionary endeavor. I, I, I need to ask our, our missionary brother about this sometime. But I read A.C. Dixon's book one day and I was reading in Mr. Dixon's book about a street called George Street in Sydney, Australia. Mr. Dixon told the story about he was counseling with a woman and uh, trying to help her with the problem she's having and he asked her how she'd been saved and she said, well, I was walking down George Street and a man walked out and handed me a tract and I got saved. And then Mr. Dixon in his book talked about a, a group of preachers at the Keswick or Keswick, however you pronounce it, convention. He asked them how they'd been saved and they said, well, we were... Two of them said we were walking down George Street and a little man stepped out of a door and put a track in our face and asked us if we died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And we got under conviction, we got saved. And he went to Atlanta, Georgia and he spoke at a convention of naval chaplains. And after the convention, he went out to eat with the man in charge and he asked him how he'd been saved. And he said, well, I was walking down George Street. And a little white-haired man put a track in my face and said, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Mr. Dixon said he was, at, he was at a missions conference where there were over a thousand missionaries that had been formerly Hindu and now had been saved and were in the country of India. And he was talking to one of them and he said, uh, tell me how you got saved. And he said, I was a businessman and I was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia. A little man put a, put a track in my face and I, I, I got saved. And he said, everywhere I went, I kept running across people. And later on, he met that man and talked to him. And I, I've thought many times. Now, this is what A.C. Dixon said. I don't know how he figured this or compiled this. But here's what he said. He said he figured they were over, that there were somewhere around 160,000 people who'd been saved as a result of that little white-haired man stepping out of his doorway, putting a track in somebody's face and saying, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? You know what happened? That, that man, just by that act of giving someone a track, had spread the gospel all over the world, that fragrance. And when I read that, I thought to myself, all of us could be a missionary. All of us could be involved in the work. All of us could be and ought to be and should be laborers together with God and shame on us if we're not. As much as he loved us and as much as we say we love him, we ought to be laborers together. Laborers together with the Apostle Paul laborers together with Christ 
laborers together, serving the one that we love and leaving a sweet-smelling fragrance everywhere we go. I want you to bow your heads a moment. Your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed. Don't you want to be a laborer with him tonight? Don't you want to be involved in the work of the Lord? Hadn't God been so good to you? You want to be involved? Hadn't he loved you so much that you want to tell somebody about it? You want to be involved in bringing that, leaving that sweet smell and fragrance. You want to be involved in that. Maybe tonight you say, Preacher, I've been, I've been kind of sitting on the sidelines. Well, can I put it to you this way? Do you love him enough to put your armor on? Do you love him that much? Do you love him like that young man said, I'll, I'll put that armor on and I'll, I'll head in that bank and I'll, I'll talk to my wife about how much I love her. Do you love, her, love him tonight enough to put your armor on? So I don't care what the world thinks. I don't care what they say. I'm so in love with him. I want to talk to somebody about Jesus. I want to be a laborer together with him. You know, maybe there's somebody tonight, God's been dealing with you about missions. I know this isn't a missions conference, but about, about three days ago, God put this message on my heart for tonight. Maybe God's dealing with your heart tonight about surrendering. He's just calling you in love, saying, I sure do love you. Would you love me back? You'd want to just surrender tonight. Maybe he's calling a young man to the ministry. Maybe he's calling some young teenage lady to just surrender her life. You got all your hopes and dreams. I want this and I want that. And tonight the Lord said, no, I want you for something else. You just want to surrender your life to him. I don't know. Maybe you've been afraid to witness. You've been afraid to talk to somebody. God would just deal with your heart tonight. And you just want to say, Lord, I just want to be used of you. Why don't you just let him have his way tonight? Father, help us in this service. Help your people tonight to surrender. Lord, it's not hard to yield ourselves to someone that loves us. And you do love us so. And I pray you'll help us tonight. And I pray in Jesus' name.